I figured out and I found out that the, the word or the phrase be of good cheer is a Greek word. And, and the, <laughs> the, the word itself is pharseo. And the root of that word means to be confident. Be confident. Really, Jesus, the wind is blowing and the, the waves are about to knock the boat over and you are asking me to be confident? Why? Why are you asking this of me? Well, you see, the next thing Jesus says answers that question. He says, be of good cheer, be confident, because it is I. It is I. In that moment, he isn't just stating the fact of who he is, but who he has always been. He's saying, it is I. It's the I am. It's the same I am that showed up at creation and breathed life into the first pair of lungs. It's the same I am who showed up at Moses centuries before in a burning bush and told him before Abraham was, I am. It's the same I am who stood in front of Joshua and when asked, are you for or against us? He said, neither I am. I am the host of the Lord's armies. I am. It's with them. It's the same I am who would later come forth after being brutally murdered and saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, the I am, stands before his disciples in the middle of a storm and tells them, cheer up. Be of good confidence. Not because you can figure your way out of this. Not because you have the answer, but because I am is with you. Y'all, when the I am shows up for you, I want you to know he will speak to you before he speaks to your storm the truth is Jesus doesn't need to speak to the storm to save you from the storm sometimes he just needs to speak to you y'all when you are stuck in your storm my question is have you paused to hear his voice Y'all, let's, let's dive into the word. So whatever you're doing, whether you're online or on your couch or you're here in a pew, I invite you to pray as we speak to our Heavenly Father one more time. Dear God, I thank you. I thank you that you are a God who, man, you, you always keep your promises to us. And God, in this moment, your spirit is already here. But God, I pray for a double portion, but not just that, God, but that your spirit would soften our hearts, that we're able to be sensitive to the moving of your spirit. And God, at the end of this, I will look forward with expectation to how you will do what you always do, and that is heal, deliver, transform, and set free. I look forward to how you will keep that promise to me. I thank you, God. And I thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Y'all, the, the steady sounds, the steady sounds of rowing echoed off the lake on that evening as the sun set behind the horizon. Dark, dark clouds had begun to roll across the previously clear sky, but the men gathered on the boat didn't seem to notice because their thoughts were stuck on what happened earlier that day. You see, that day was phenomenal. It was amazing. The things they had seen were things that no one thought was possible before that day, but they were witnesses. They had seen it. They had watched as large crowds of people rushed towards their master. They had heard 
heard him speak about a kingdom that was here, a kingdom that would change everything for everyone. And then around dinner time, they watched as their master transformed from a teacher into a caterer and chef wrapped all in one. He catered a meal that was meant for one little boy into a meal that that fed a baseline of 5,000 men, not including women and children. It had been a great day. Such a great day, in fact, that whispers and ideas begin to bloom among the people. You could hear one person say, did you, did you hear him talk about the kingdom? What, what if that kingdom happened right now? And we made him king right, right now. Another person whispered, did you see what he did with those five loaves? What if we gave him a couple, a couple weapons? What would happen to our Roman problem? It would disappear, wouldn't it? They began to, to think and to plan and to make a schedule for Jesus' next moves without speaking or asking Jesus for his consent. But before we get, you know, a little bit judgmental of the disciples and those gathers, the picture that's painted there, it, it looks a little bit like us, doesn't it? Right, though their words sound a little bit like ours, how, how we make plans and, and schedule things for our lives without seeking the approval of Jesus. Right, how we often move boldly in the direction of our dreams without seeking or thinking that maybe what I'm moving towards isn't really what God wants for me. Y'all, let's be honest, plans and, and next steps, like the plans you have with that person that God has already told you no about, but you're convinced that you can change them when that's actually the job of the Holy Spirit. Plans and, and next steps, like the plans you have to take that job that you already know is going to ask you to move in ways that are ethically shady. Plans and next steps, like the plans and next steps you have for your kids. Oh, they're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, but God says, I have something different for them. Plans and next steps, y'all hear me clearly. Our plans and next steps often come from a place of good intentions. I know this because I am a planner. I have backup plans to my backup plans, right? It comes from a place of good intention. It comes from a place of trying to fulfill a desire or a dream or solve a problem, which is not a bad thing. The issue becomes when we begin to plan without asking Jesus to guide Right, like why is that a problem? It's a problem because as humans, we have limited knowledge and limited perspective. On the other hand, God has all knowledge and all perspective. He sees all of the factors and variables that are in a situation that you don't know about. He knows all of the, the right things that, that need to happen at the right time to make something successful. But when we plan without him, we set ourselves off down a dangerous plan and actually... We put at risk God's plans, the one that he has carefully laid out for us. What am I talking about? Well, Jesus in the story, in his wisdom, he knew that the disciples weren't only just not moving in line with the will of the Father. They were also putting at risk the plan of salvation for the entire world. To save, so to save them from themselves and to save us from ourselves, God will often redirect our path. And redirect us into situations that we aren't the most comfortable in. So Jesus reroutes the disciples, and this is where we find them. We find them in a boat, in the middle of a lake, deep in their feelings. 
they were frustrated with Jesus. How dare he tell us to get on this boat? Didn't he know we were trying to help him? Upset and frustrated, but soon, soon their attention was violently dragged off of their thoughts of what could have been to the situation in front of them. You see, while they were thinking about how their plans had failed, a storm had brewed and it moved on to the water. The Bible says that the winds picked up and it created choppy and unpredictable waves. We already know that Peter and his homies were fishermen, right? They were on the boats and they had seen their fair share of storms, but this storm was different. This storm would push them to their physical limits and test their endurance. Scholars tell us that the, the lake was only seven miles across. It should have only taken a couple of hours to get across, but, but the author of the book of Luke tells us that they left in the evening, the early evening, and then by the fourth watch, which is around 3 a.m., they're still on the lake. Hours have gone by, and they're still on the lake. They're stuck in the lake, but not just anywhere. They're not even close to being done. They're in the middle of the lake. They're stuck. They're stuck in a storm. Have you ever been stuck in a storm? Have you ever found yourself in a situation that pushed you to your emotional and mental limits? Have you ever found yourself in a situation that no matter how many steps forward you took, you were always pushed back to the starting line, stuck in a storm, storms that bring weeping all night, but make you question if joy will really come in the morning, stuck in a storm, storms that shake the foundation of your home, shake the foundation of your marriage, of your family, of your communities, and it makes you question, will my anchor hold this time in this storm, stuck in a storm? If we're really honest with ourselves, the, the past few years has felt like the storm we've all been stuck in. I don't know about you, but I can remember where I was and what I was doing when they told me that COVID was now impacting the way I lived my life. And, and the, the unimaginable tragedies, like if someone had told me the day before what we would have experienced, I wouldn't have believed them. In the past couple years, we've lost people that we're still grieving today. The impact of COVID has changed how we interact with each other, and some of us are still trying to figure out how to hold on to the people we still have left. We struggle with that while at the same time trying to, 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 to balance and process the, the tragedies that happen every other day on a national scale. The injustices that happen and pop up everywhere around our country and around our globe, y'all stuck in storms. If you can relate to that, to the feelings that were, in, that were brought up as I spoke, I, I have some good news for you, some great news that hopefully will provide you with hope. You may be asking yourself, uh, well, Kayla, how can I have hope if I'm currently in a storm? And to that, I would say, great question. Great question. I, I would suggest that we find hope while being stuck in a storm by changing our perspective, by changing the lens with which we see our storm. You see, each storm, no matter how uncomfortable they make us, no, no matter how desperate they make us, each of them has lessons wrapped in it. So storms teach us about ourselves. Storms teach us about how resilient we can be, about how we handle stress. 
But storms also teach us about Jesus. You see, an intense storm will teach you more about the master of the sea than any calm day will. And this storm that we're going to look at teaches us a couple of things. The first thing it teaches us is that God sees. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark, Mark chapter 6. It was read beautifully earlier by the elder. Thank you for doing that. Mark 6, verse 47. This is where we find our first, our first lesson. It says, now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on land. So in this moment, the author paints a very clear picture, and he very clearly tells you where each of the characters in this true story is. He tells us that Jesus is alone on land, and the disciples are in a boat in the middle of the sea. Why, why is that important? Well, you see, if, if you passively, right, read this text, it'll be like, oh, well, whatever, it's just details. But if you use a little bit of empathy, if you put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples or their proverbial boat, you can realize what the lesson is. What am I trying to say? Imagine with me in your holy imagination, right, sanctified imagination, imagine with me that you're in the boat with the disciples, during the storm, right? The waves are hitting you from every direction, making it difficult for you to see. The wind is tossing your boat back and forth, back and forth, making it hard to make progress or even figure out where you are. It's chaos. The wind is howling. The, the rain is falling. There's may, maybe thunder or lightning, and it's chaos, and your anxiety is at an all-time high. And then for one second, with a moment of hope, you think, maybe I should look for Jesus. And you look up, and your, your, your storm-calming master is not in the boat with you. I have to give some context because you see, at this point in the disciples' lives, in this point in Jesus' ministry, the, the disciples had already been in a boat with their master during a storm. So they knew that Jesus could handle the elements. But in this situation, in this storm, Jesus was nowhere to be found. Often when we are stuck in our own storms, it is easy to look at the situation and think that God has forgotten about you. It's easy to think that he has somehow lost you to the storm. But the next verse, verse 48, shows us a different reality for both the disciples and us. It says, he saw them straining at rowing. This one sentence is the first miracle of this story. Do you know how good Jesus' eyesight had to have been? To be able to see them struggling in the boat, in the middle of a lake, during a storm, miles away. But he did. He had supernatural eyesight to see them. Here is the hard but beautiful truth in your storms. That even when you can't see Jesus in your situation, even when you can't feel him in your situation, that he sees you. Psalms 33, 18 says, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him and on those whose hope are in his unfailing love. Psalms 34, 15 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Our perspective of the situation will try to convince you that he doesn't, doesn't see you, but I want to encourage you that what you are seeing is not the full truth. 
What's in front of you isn't the full reality of what is happening. Y'all, one of the first names given to God in the Bible, given by an Egyptian slave named, named Hagar. She's the first person in the Bible to name God, and that name is Elroy. That name means the God who sees me. The God who sees me, not just my problems, not just my storm, but who sees me, that name says something about our God. It hints towards a God who is intimately aware of you, who sees all that you have been, all that you have the potential of being and all that you will choose to be and he still decides to stay. The God who sees me, Jesus says in Luke 12, 6 and 7, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. He sees you. But often, we lean into our perspective or our feelings when we're in these situations. Y'all, as a, as a social worker, you will never catch, catch me saying, well, how you're feeling, it's not real. Like, that's a part of your imagination. Or what you're feeling isn't, isn't valid. I would never say that to you. But what I would say to you instead is that sometimes, while our feelings are real, sometimes they lie to us. Sometimes our feelings encourage us to ignore vital information. A friend, preacher, and and professor, Dr. Heather Thompson Day says this, feelings can get in the car with you as you drive, but they cannot sit in the driver's seat. Y'all, in moments where our feelings want to take over, that's the moment where faith has to drive. Because faith points us to rely on God instead of what's in front of you. You know this verse, Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Translation, don't trust your understanding of the situation more than you trust God. Don't trust your perspective of reality more than you trust your perspective or God's perspective, his perspective of you, of others, his plans for you, where he wants to take you. Don't trust your understanding of what's happening more than you trust God in moments where anxiety and stress takes hold, in moments where you get up from praying and the situation goes from bad to worse, in moments where your storm is overwhelming, you take a deep breath. Let it out. And as you do, remind yourself of the only truth, the only reality that matters is that he sees you. And when our God sees his kids in trouble, he has no choice but to move towards us. The next thing we know or we learn in storms is that our God shows up. Our God shows up. So Jesus is, is he sees his disciples, his friends struggling. And the Bible says that he begins to move towards them. But we have to take a pause, right? Because the Bible specifically tells us how he moves toward them. It doesn't say that he, he like put on his swimsuit and like dove in the water. It doesn't say that he found a boat and some like oars and rowed out to them. It said that he walked on water. So we need to like take a second with that because I think as a lot of times as Christians, we have become so used to the Bible that we've lost our sense of awe for what God can do. So let me break it down like this. Jesus walks, takes one foot, puts it in front of the other, while water is underneath him, 
and walks to his friends in the middle of a storm. I don't know about you, but I have never seen anyone do that in real life. He walks to them in their storm. Y'all, there is no law of physics that can explain this. There is no explanation of the human body that can make this make sense. Jesus breaks all laws of nature and confounds science itself as he shows up in their problem. When Jesus shows up in your problem, things will begin to change in ways that don't make sense to you. As he shows up, things that were unmovable and impossible will move and become possible. As he shows up, things will begin to happen that will make people pause and go, hmm, that's different. I've never seen that before when Jesus shows up in your problem things will begin to happen that do not make sense to you or others but before we can get too excited we, we have to have a reality check because Mark helps us right he, he, he tells us something that isn't found in the other accounts of this, of this story he says in verse 48 and 49 now about the fourth watch or 3am he came to them walking on the sea And would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. Let's break that down. So the author says that Jesus is walking on the water to his disciples. But it also says that he would have passed them by. And when they saw him. When, that when implies that there were moments where he was visible to them. But they couldn't see him. Why is it that they couldn't see him? Well, well, an earlier verse says that Jesus saw them while they were straining at rowing. Straining at rowing, trying to row out of their storm, trying to get out of their storm. Is it possible that they were so busy rowing that they almost missed the miracle of Jesus in their storm with them? Right? Is it, is it possible that God is already moving in clear ways in your storm, but you are trying to get out of it so you're missing him? Right? Is it, is, it, is it possible that because you're so overwhelmed by emotions, you're, you're busy trying to troubleshoot and figure out the next steps that you are missing the miracle happening while your situation is in front of you? Is it, is it possible that because you're, you're can't, you can't, you can't go past this moment that you are missing him answering your prayers right now? Here's the thing. If we don't take moments to look up from our rowing, look up from our problem solving, if we don't take a moment to look up and around for God, we will most definitely miss him. One of the most amazing things that God has been trying to teach me in my storms is is to have this, this thing called a habit of gratitude. People typically say an attitude of gratitude, but sometimes I'm going to be honest, in my situations, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like being grateful. So the attitude of gratitude won't help me, but habits of gratitude will. Right? Research shows that people who are accustomed to listing the things they are grateful for have better mental health outcomes, have better physical health outcomes. And even when people are sick, those who are sick are more likely to get better than those who are not using habits of gratefulness. 
so why am I saying this? I, I am saying this because this falls in line with what the Bible says in Revelation 12, verse 2. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Y'all, in the middle of your situation, pause and look around to notice the other things that are going well. Are you struggling to pay your bill? Yes. But is the light still on? Yes. Are you struggling to figure out what your next steps will be? Yes. But you are existing in a prayer you prayed for right now. Are you struggling to figure out how will I provide for my kids? He's the one who says, I'm going to look out for my children. Y'all look around for the things that are going right. The things that are going well. It might not all be okay, but he's still providing for your needs. You are still living and here with us. You still have breath in your lungs and have all your mental faculties. There's always something to be grateful for. And practicing this, getting up in the morning and saying, man, I don't want to go to work, but I have a job. Man, I gas is so high, but I got a car. Man, my kids are losing my mind, but there are people who want kids. Like, there are things to be grateful for. The other thing that we realize about how God shows up is the disciples weren't just surprised about how he showed up. But it's, it's the what and the where of how he showed up. So, like I mentioned before, I have never seen anyone walk on water. So that would, that would have been a little off-putting to me. But Jesus showing up for the disciples shows us that sometimes God will show up in our storms, but in ways that we're not necessarily expecting, Right? Like he told them, I'm going to meet you on the other side, but he met them there on the water. Y'all, we have to be willing to let God shock and surprise us sometimes. If I'm honest, be a little vulnerable up here. Um, I don't really like when God surprises me. Right? Like I want to know the how and the when and the where of how he's going to show up for me in my problem, right? And I like to tell myself that I want to know this to be more confident, right, in his word. But the truth is, it's just me trying to control the situation, right? Sometimes we allow our expectations of God to block him from doing a new and different thing for us. So my encouragement to you is is in the storm that you're in, remember that God will do what he needs to do in the way that he wants to do it, but the only thing blocking him isn't the storm, it's you. So God sees, God shows up. And the last thing, one of the last things we learn is that he speaks. So Jesus is standing on the water. The Bible says that the disciples are losing their mind because they think he's a ghost. Instead of letting their anxiety get out of hand, Jesus speaks to them. We see it in verse 50. It says this, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. We have to pause here again because in the earlier situation with a storm, Jesus was taking a nap, woke up, and he spoke to the storm. He told the storm, hush, be quiet, and it did what he wanted. But in this situation, Jesus doesn't address the storm at all. He simply speaks to his disciples. So my relationship with Jesus is one that, like, I just keep it 100 with him. 
And so I, as I was going through this, I was like, hey, God, like that's, that's a little frustrating. Like the storm is raging around them, and you're standing on the water, and you're having a little conversation with your disciples. Is now really the best time to do this? And then when you do speak to them, you tell them to be of good courage? Like, it's now really the best time to do this. And the Holy Spirit, as he always does, is like, I need you to take a deep breath. And I need you to lean in a little bit more. So he says, be of good cheer. And I was stuck on this for a moment. And then I figured out and I found out that the, the word or the phrase be of good cheer is a Greek word. And, and the, <laughs> the, the word itself is pharseo. And the root of that word means to be confident. Be confident. Really, Jesus, the wind is blowing and the, the waves are about to knock the boat over and you are asking me to be confident? Why? Why are you asking this of me? Well, you see, the next thing Jesus says answers that question. He says, be of good cheer, be confident, because it is I. It is I. In that moment, he isn't just stating the fact of who he is, but who he has always been. He's saying, it is I. It's the I am. It's the same I am that showed up at creation and breathed life into the first pair of lungs. It's the same I am who showed up at Moses centuries before in a burning bush and told him before Abraham was I am. It's the same I am who stood in front of Joshua and when asked, are you for or against us? He said, neither I am. I am the host of the Lord's armies. I am is with them. It's the same I am who would later come forth after being brutally murdered and saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, the I am, stands before his disciples in the middle of a storm and tells them, cheer up, be of good confidence, not because you can figure your way out of this, not because you have the answer, but because I am is with you. Y'all, when the I am shows up for you, I want you to know he will speak to you before he speaks to your storm. The truth is Jesus doesn't need to speak to the storm to save you from the storm. Sometimes he just needs to speak to you. Y'all, when you are stuck in your storm, my question is, have you paused to hear his voice? Have you paused to hear what he thinks about you? To remind yourself of what he has to say to you. One of my favorite promises is Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 4. It says, but now says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned nor nor shall flames scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior in the middle of your storm. Remember to take time to hear what God has to say, because here's the thing about God's word. When it leaves his mouth, it can't come back to him unless it's done what he said he wanted to do. He cannot, will not lie to you. He is dependable, and his word is trustworthy. It's trustworthy. Jesus could say to his disciples, don't be afraid because the I am was with them. A friend of mine reminded me that in that moment, he could tell them to not be afraid because peace was in the storm with them. And my friend went on to say that he, that peace was there and available to them because peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. And peace was standing on the water in front of them, telling them, don't be afraid. 
I've got you. Don't be afraid. The, the last thing, the last thing we learn is that he wants to stay with you. So in the account in John, John 6, 21, it says that this, then they willingly received him onto the boat and immediately the boat landed where they were going. One of the most beautiful things we learn from the Bible is that God is desperate to be with us. Like more than you can think, he's desperate to be with us. From Genesis to Revelation, that entire book is God's attempt to be with us, with humanity. He even named himself Emmanuel, God with us. And that's not just with us in the good times when you've got it all together, when you look great on Sabbath. That's, that's in the moments when you're struggling when nobody else sees the tears, we as Christians like to put on masks and pretend that we've all got it together. And sometimes we like to try to convince God of that too, but he sees past it. He sees past it in our storms. We have to, we have to be willing to let him see that. Y'all hear me clearly. Family, hear me clearly. There is a difference between Jesus being in your storm and Jesus being in your boat in your storm. Sometimes, sometimes we, we like to try to do it by ourselves. Even while God is providing an answer, we're like, God, let me help you. I, I got this part. I got this portion. But God's like, I, I need your help. I just want you to say yes to me. I want you to let me in your boat. What does that look like practically? Well, letting him into your boat looks like being honest with him. Right, being honest with him about how much pain you're in about how you're disappointed in him. Right, sometimes our disappointment hardens our heart. The text, one of the last texts in this account says this. In verse 51, they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. Letting him into your boat looks like letting him soften your heart. About being honest about God, like, I don't really see how you're moving in this situation. And sometimes I don't really trust that. But I'm willing to let you try. I know for a lot of us, we've either grown up in the church, been in the church for a while. The name of Jesus is not an unfamiliar one. But is it possible that the storm you're in is an opportunity for you to get to know him in a new way, to let him become intimate with you in ways that you didn't think were possible. One of my favorite gospel artists, Jonathan McReynolds, as the musicians come to play, um, he, well, in one of his albums, he, he has this song, the lyrics, they're some of my favorite. He, he says, I'm not asking for an outcome I'm not praying for results. I, I'm not hoping that it all goes exactly how I want. No, I'm not asking you to do it. I'm not asking that you don't. I'm just inviting you into my situation. I just want you. I just want you in my situation. And, and, and it's, it's simply 
It's simply simple. In the storm you're stuck in, God promises that it will not last forever. But the quality of your experience in that storm is directly connected to your ability to let him in and to be transparent with him. And and so my, my appeal is super simple. It's super short. I heard all of the prayer requests you guys were mentioning, and it sounds like there are some storms happening. Some of you didn't share, and that's perfectly okay. But you might know somebody in a storm. And the feelings of helplessness as you ask God to intervene in the life of that person you love, you're you're connected to that storm through your your friend, your family. So my my appeal is whatever storm you're in, take take a few seconds. And I want to talk to your God who has already seen, heard. Your God who was already in your storm, moving in ways that are incredible. And your God who is trying to speak with you and stay with you to that God, I want you to just invite him. Not just for today when you go to potluck, but I want you to say, God, I want to invite you on the random Tuesday when I'm going to lunch and the grief is overwhelming, but I have to keep my smile on. God, I want to invite you in that moment. God, I want to invite you into the moments where where my kids are asking me questions that I don't have the answer to. God, I want to invite you into that moment. Let's take a few seconds and talk to him for just a few seconds. And then I'll close with prayer. Let's pray. Dear God, dear God, I, man, we are so used to being in spaces where we have to put a smile on for other people. We're so used to the happy Sabbath, how are you, and us responding, you know, I'm okay, but God, with you, we can be fully ourselves. We can express all of what we're feeling, and God, you don't back away from us. You don't shy away from our hurt, our pain, but God, you're with us. You are our Emmanuel. So God, I pray for anyone in this moment who is in a storm. God, I pray that your spirit is there to comfort them, but God, I also pray that you soften their heart towards you. I pray that you you remind them in the tough times, in the moments where they're grieving the loss of that person, that you are coming back soon. I pray in the moments, God, where the stress is unbearable, that you will be a burden lifter, a heavy load sharer, God. But most of all, Jesus, I pray. I pray that these storms that we're in They are monuments in our lives to remind us that our God does the impossible. Even including changing our own hearts, God. So God, I thank you for how you're going to show up in their lives this week. How you will make yourself even more evident. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you're coming soon. But most importantly, I thank you.
that you're here with us right now. In the beautiful name of Jesus, my water-walking Savior, in his name I pray. Amen.